Well, hello and welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Garland. And I'm Nick. And we have a special guest with us today, Mr. Matt Newman. Hi, Matt. Hello, my friends. What a joy to be on with you guys today. It's good to have you here, Matt. (laughs) I can't Uh, tell if you're sincere or not. (laughs) I think he's mocking us. Uh, So I'll tell you how I came to know Matt Newman um, was when I was coming out of college and, um, and was getting married and was looking for, for a, a job and was looking for, for where to go and had a couple different opportunities on the table. And, uh, as I, I got to interview with Matt and as I got to know him, one of the things that was, was really clear, I'd gotten the advice. One of the most important things to do early on is to find the kind of people you want to be around and be shaped by. And that was really the, the biggest, uh, determining factor on why I took the job I did was I looked at Matt Newman, a friend of ours named Jarrett McClellan said, man, these are the two guys I want to be shaped by. So I've had the joy of working with Matt for 12 years now and, uh, really glad to, to get some, some coaching and some, some biblical wisdom from Matt today. I remember asking you to tell a silly story of our life and you went personal. I did. That just ruined all of your plans for this episode. makes me teary and weepy and joyful. Oh, that's good. Yes. That's good. I'm glad I've seen that. Matt break a wall clock in a basketball gym <laughs> because he couldn't, he couldn't finish a layup. <laughs> so, yeah. The, yeah, the hoop was a little smaller that day and it turned to soccer and uh, the clock has never been the same. But grace abounds and repentance <laughs> yes, happened. Yes, it does. And, uh, <laughs> clocks aren't that expensive, so I... <laughs> so our question on the table today as we get into out of curiosity is, uh, and it's a question we get very frequently in, in, in discipleship and personal ministry, this question comes up all the time. And uh, there's a lot of different ways we could chat about it. But the question is, at its heart, something like this. How do we find God's will? Like uh, when people are, I hear it especially, I, I do a lot of ministry with college students, and the question comes up, should I marry this person or not? Should I take this job or not? Should I go to this college or not? What's my major? And then should we have kids? Should we buy this house? Should we move to this city? Should I take that job? And in all of these kinds of questions, the, uh, the question comes up, well, what's God's will for me? And uh, people have a genuine, uh, I think, desire to want to honor the Lord in, in asking that question. But then the, the way that we assess what is God's will can be a little bit hard to understand sometimes. So Nick and Matt, y'all are here to kind of make sense of this for us. That's good. That's, is that my sense? That's, that's, that's yeah. my cue. That's your those cue. Of you to, can't see to Nick, which is wisdom. He just nodded. So... Man, that is the question. That is a, a wonderful question, one that I've uh, wrestled with myself, um, you know, both in the approach of looking back and, and saying, God, what have you led me to? What journey have you led me on? Looking forward, um, wanting to do this life right, uh, whether that be family and kids and parenting and husband and work and all the rest. And so it's a good question. Um, and you know, there's there's two stories in particular in the Bible that have brought me a lot of peace um, and maybe permission for confusion, which which sounds funny, but it's just like, man, if it was confusing for Paul, it's okay if it's confusing for me. Um, and so the first one, uh, and this is a great time to just kind of go back into the book of Acts. We're teaching through Acts, uh, our congregations, as we launch again this year in another community season of life. Um, and so... You know, in Acts 16, there's a familiar passage called a familiar passage called the Macedonian Call from Acts 16 verses uh, six to about ten. Um, it's worth reading. Uh, 
Reverend Garland. Would you read that for oh, us? Mm, the wow. Reverend. Oh, that yes. would be I'll great. Thank you, sir. Uh, we're told this, the Gospel writer Luke, and I'm reading from the NIV. Paul and his companions, they traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down the Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over here to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Thanks for giving me all the cities. I was about to say, that did you just good. give that to him as a test to see if he could read the words? <laughs> that was solid. No, I've never heard it Phrygia. I've always said Phrygia. And then I would I'm, say my northern joke, it was a very cold place. I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong. So. Yeah. So I've, I've always been uh, just intrigued by this passage. I would say most people who would, you know, just be doing a Bible or read through, their highlighter probably doesn't hit that one a whole lot. Um, and yet there's some really crazy stuff in it. Uh, how did the doors to Asia get closed? That's crazy. I don't know if it's a tree across the road. I don't know if it's the Spirit compelling them. I don't know if uh, things just did not work out. Um, all these other crazy cities where... where what we see Paul and his companions is they're moving, they're on the move. And I, I think in the whole concept and idea of following God's will, they were compelled by something that made them move regardless of the doors that were closed. Would, would that would that seem a, a fair statement summary of the passage? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And, and so I think that we get the hint of what it is for Paul, and, and I think that this would also apply to us, but I think in particular for him, if you were going to summarize what is Paul, uh, what is the mission and the vision of his life, you could maybe that last phrase, concluding, God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So in a minute, we'll jump over to Acts 20, where where we're going to see that reiterated, where, where living a his life in word and deed to live out the gospel. And so he's going to go to the Jew. He is going to go to the Greek. That's kind of his habit in every city that he goes to. Where do the Jews hang out? Where do the Greeks hang out? And preach the gospel. Um, and here we see that in this really everyday normalized life that seems really hard. And so a lot of doors are closed. And I don't know why, but maybe as just an average fella, like we all are, um, you know, average at best, doors seem to constantly be closing, and that can be a really discouraging thing. And for Paul, doors to entire countries are closed, which is wild. I don't, I don't understand that. And yet I take a lot of solace in just the next chapter, chapter 17, it says, Lydia, who is from a province in Asia. And so God closed the door to a country, but brought a contact through a person who, in that town, in that place, she was a foreigner, she was a, a, a Gentile, and she was a person who maybe didn't even belong, and yet he preached the gospel to her. And so he closed the doors to certain opportunities only to open them elsewhere. But I think that you only get to that point of really pursuing and seeking the will of God if you, if you know your why. And then you live in your why wherever you go, trusting that God is going to be the one who orchestrates, he opens doors, he closes doors. Um, so that's that, that has been a lifetime of just a, a story that's brought me some solve of like, what is my why? And therefore, how do I live that out? Um, so, uh, and then if we can jump over to Acts 20 real quick. Um, it's actually a passage that I've been, been looking at for this week. Um, again, never my highlighter never hit it in my bible a lot but as i've looked at chapter 19 and 20 it's been meaningful chapter 
19 is the, the story at Ephesus, where it's basically a story of a big, massive riot where they're in the amphitheater and they're dragging in Christians and they're, uh, they're just in a very bad place. It's not a popular time uh, to be a follower of the way, which was a follower of Jesus at the time. And so 20, he's sailing. Um, he leaves Ephesus. He's sailing around and he actually doesn't go back to Ephesus, but he brings the elders of Ephesus to him. So he has his first leaders retreat and he pulls them together and he kind of summarizes what I would say is a restatement of, if, if you look at 20 verses uh, 24, uh, Nick, why don't you read 2024 yeah. for me? Acts 2024. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Yeah, so there you have it again. You have a, a anthem. You have his why of the gospel, the life of the gospel in word and deed. And, you, you know, I think this finding the will of God, looking back and saying, how do I finish the course? How do I finish my race? If As he looks back over his life, did he follow? Did he live the will of God? Well, it wasn't based on the analytics or the measurables of open or closed doors. It was based on, uh, you know, it says twice in this passage that that he spoke with confidence and full conviction. He never wavered. He never swerved. He never shrunk back from preaching the gospel and the whole account of, of God's word to the people that he was with, both house to house and in public. Um, and so again, you see his why. You, you, you see the gospel that, you know, my summary phrase would be that God saves sinners through Jesus, that that full narrative of Jesus's birth, life, death, and resurrection, and that God rescues us through that redemptive story, that Paul marked that on his life and everything that he said and did. Um, so that's that has been really meaningful to me. Doors closed, doors open, that that's his marker. And then I just find it interesting. It was actually, I reread it this morning in just a devotional kind of posture, um, and he's looking at the elders with that kind of anthem of the gospel. And he says this, he says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. These are He's talking to the leaders. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And so pay careful attention to yourselves, pay careful attention to the flock. Um, I think there's so many just like, books that have been written and ways that we could kind of run the course, but it seems like the will for Paul's life and his instruction to leaders to care for a city, which was a very influential city when it comes to just the spread of the gospel, is, hey, live a life of the gospel in word and deed. Doors are going to open, doors are going to close. Care for yourself, pay attention to yourself, and care for others. And it feels like these became the building blocks that he could confidently walk away from them and have a a tearful farewell on shore and, and go off, say, I've trained them in everything that they can do. If they will live a life of the gospel, care for themselves and care for others, um, God's going to do great things. So <clears throat> let, let me ask this question. What I, what I don't hear is, I'm hearing you say, God has a general depiction of what a life that is obeying his will, that is pleasing him looks like. And then in the particulars... I think the the person listening to this, the person who is trying to ask maybe ask this question is going, okay, yes, but what about the particulars of my life? Is there is there some sort of ethereal feeling I'm supposed to get? Is there some sort of uh, like Bible verse I'm supposed to turn to? I, I know a lot of people that go, okay, and I, we've probably all done this. You have a big decision. You go, I don't know what God's will is for this. Oh man, Lord, help me, direct me. We we close our Bible and then plop it down and let it fall open. 
And if it falls to some kind of judgment passage in the right. Old Testament, we're like, well, that, let me just try it again. So then we, we drop <laughs> it again, and it falls to something that we kind of like. We go, well, let me see if I can make that fit. Now, none of us are advocating for that as a strategy, but what does it look like in the particulars? Is there any direction there? Or is, is God okay with us having a certain level of freedom as long as we're living a gospel life and loving him and loving others, caring for ourselves? What, what does it look like? I'm, I'm asking the table here. Sure. Uh, can I, I'll, I'll answer you with it. When I was leaving high school, trying to pick a college, going back to Ashwaubenon High School in Green Bay, Wisconsin, go did Jaguars. You, did you drop your Bible open and try oh, that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I asked this very question to my parents who are life, you know, just love the Lord their God with their full hearts. Um, and I want to know, how do I know what God is calling me to? Which college should I go to? So very practical, very specific. I'm trying to hear God's voice. Should I go... Northwest, east, south, which way? Uh, and I, to this day, remember my mom's answer. And, and I think there's a lot of theological implications to it, but it was very clear. She brought me over to the kitchen sink where she did hours and hours of dishes for me and my three brothers as we just ate like lions for my entire childhood. Uh, and she looked out over the window that was over the sink, and she said, uh, you know, Matt, when I look out this window and I see our backyard, here's what I often tell you. I want you to stay within view. And so she says, if I can't see you in the frame, which was basically our fenced backyard, but the frame that she was looking out of that window, um, don't go beyond it. So it's like we had a above ground pool. Like you can swim in the pool. We had an ice rink in the winter that we would, believe it or not, up in Wisconsin, we'd take a hose, Nick, and we would water down the grass and we would skate on that ice rink. Weirdos in the north. <laughs> we'd play catch. We'd play, <laughs> we'd, we'd climb up in our attic. There were so many fun things that we could do in our backyard. Uh, and all of those things were within sight of what she gave us kind of permission to do, but don't go beyond. And then she took her Bible and she didn't flip it. Brrr, she didn't do one of those. But she did say, Scripture is so clear to give us a frame of what we need to stay within of what we do know. And so go in the world and make disciples. Don't sin. Be faithful here. Be clear here. Care for others. Care for others. Uh, care for yourself. All these different things, verses that we could write around that frame and say, here is the boundaries that you stay within. Uh, and then honestly, the life that we kind of unfold before us is do the things you love, do the things you're passionate about, and assume God's going to close some of those doors and mm -hmm. open others. Um and, and that's been really freeing because a lot of times there's a good choices in front of you and the advice is like, which one within the bounds or within the measures of God's, you know, frame that he's given you, can you do with joy and passion? Go for it. Try it. And, and doors may close. I think that's good. And I think, you know, one of the patterns we see when, when the New Testament talks about the concept of wisdom is... Um, we tend to think when we when we come to those questions like which college should I go to, which job should I take, whom should I marry, um, we're we're wanting for God to give us a plan, mm -hmm. and we assume that God's will means I'm at a fork in the road. Do I go right or left? And we're just waiting for God to write the word right or left across the sky and clouds with a fear that. What if you pick wrong? If I choose left and it was I was meant to go right, then I just passed up the wife that was going to lead to an amazing you know, life and everything good and awesome. And now my life is ruined because I, I made the wrong choice at this fork in the road. And very rarely um, in the New Testament do we find God giving people the plan. Mm -hmm. 
Um, instead, what we find showing up more and more uh, are two really important concepts. In, in Romans chapter 12, uh, when it talks about, he's talking about what it looks like to live a life of worship. And in, in verse 2, he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the idea here is that we tend to think, man, I want to please God. So God, tell me whether to turn right, and right or left. And what Paul actually says is, no, submit your mind to be transformed. And then you'll make good decisions. And so instead of asking God to give us the plan so we can make a good decision, God's saying, hey, actually, let me transform you so that you'll make decision, good decisions. A similar concept comes up in uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 9. It says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. So this, this is it. How do I know God's will? Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And so the idea is, it seems to be less God show me right or left, but rather God shape me into a wise person who thinks your thoughts and who thinks your ways. Similarly, I would consider myself having failed as a parent if when my daughter is 30, she's calling me from the grocery store saying, should I buy this kind of bread or that kind of bread? Hey, dad, should I, you know, should I go here for dinner or there for dinner? Um, I want her to grow into a mature adult who makes good choices. Um, who has wisdom. And that actually seems to be like what God is doing for his people. He's shaping us into spirit-formed, spirit-filled people who have wisdom built inside our character, who honor God in the everyday decisions, keeping in mind, as you said, the big frames that Scripture give us. Well, what's interesting is that Romans 12 says you will, we, we've known this in this podcast before, you will be conformed or molded by either mm-hmm. the pattern of this world, both are passive tense verbs, by the pattern of this world, or by the wisdom that's taught by God. And here's why that's important, because I hear people say this uh, oftentimes, and I want I want y'all's take on this. What do we do when somebody uh, brings uh, an example? This is God's will for me. And let's say it's something like, uh, it's God's will for me to divorce my wife and go be with this other woman that we've been having an affair with. That's God's will for us. Or it's God's will. We, we hear things like that all the time. God doesn't want me in this how would you advise us even being able to think through something like that? Because it almost makes God's will into this subjective inner feeling I have that makes me feel okay with my decision. Mm-hmm. And I really think a lot of times that's what people are after is this settled internal, that's okay. And if we make God's will the, I feel okay with this by, based on my subjective experience, then now we can give permission to a lot of things that we might not otherwise. So we'll interact with that. You know, I think a lot of people, when they they talk about the will of God, they talk about the phrase, I felt a peace or I didn't have a peace. And I think they're pointing to Philippians chapter four when they're saying that. And what's interesting is Philippians chapter four isn't about making decisions. Right. Philippians chapter four is about coping with stress and anxiety and, and being content where you are. And so he says, hey, when you have a concern, bring that to God, and he's going to give you the peace to be able to do what Paul later describes of being content in every, any and all situations. So oftentimes, um, doing what's right and good will not come with a warm and fuzzy feeling. Right. Um, and so sometimes I think we, we are searching for that feeling to validate what we're after. Um, that doesn't mean that feelings aren't a part of it, but ultimately I think you know, another great translation of the word will in the New Testament is what pleases someone. And ultimately, what we're talking about, another way to translate this, a really good translation of God's will, is what pleases God. And God has not been unclear about what pleases him. Mm -hmm. 
And so you can explicitly say abandoning your marriage covenant does not please God. Like that is not what he's called you to in the scripture. And so I think that's where that wisdom and character formation piece is so strong is what we are after when we're after God's will is we are after a lifestyle that pleases the Lord. Mm -hmm. So Newman, let me ask this question. When, when somebody comes to you in one of these moments, you know, what do you advise them personally? Like I kind of, I know what I, what I give them, you know, here's how I make decisions. Uh, What does it look like to, with the big framework uh, of what you're laying out to then go and actually make decisions. Uh, cause I think a lot of people get paralyzed in these exact moments and pastorally, how would you free them from that? Yeah. Um, you know, pastorally, I've, I've loved that you guys brought up Roman 12, you know, the conform to the world versus the transform to the renewing of your mind. And so, um, l- let's take your instance that you just brought regarding like you know, I'm having, my marriage is falling apart. It's terrible. Uh, she's so this, he's so that it's just not working. I think I could be happy elsewhere. That, that, that's a very conforming idea, um, that you need to pursue your own happiness. And the goal would not be, excuse me, necessarily for me to just, uh, declare that or speak that over them, but rather to get them to see that, Hey, tell me the, the way that the world, you know, would define the world or define marriage or define divorce or define happiness or define this. Um, but, then to push them, uh, to, to lead them, uh, what is, what does God's word, the transforming of your mind say about marriage? And that would be in the illustration of the frame in the backyard, creating the frame. So what, what could God's word write over the frame of here's our boundaries. Here's what it looks like to submit to God's word. And let's even attempt to, for a moment, remove emotions and remove faces and, and just practically say, what does God tell us? And what is, what is the wisdom of God's word lead us to? And then therefore, how do we apply that to our situation? You know, and I think that's really good. And generally, when you look at this, the whole of Scripture, um, four voices tend to play into wise decision-making. The first and foremost, as Matt has said so well, is the Word of God. So the first thing you want to ask is, is there a clear mandate from God's Word on what to approach here? Is there a principle going on? Uh, the second one that Scripture points to again and again is having wise people in your life. And I would challenge everyone, have someone in your life who's willing to tell you you're wrong. Um, if all you have is people who pat you on the back and tell you, yeah, you're great, go for it. You need someone who says, man, I'm not sure you're thinking about that clearly. Have some people in your life who can challenge you and sharpen you. So when you take God's word and then you bring the people in your life who love you and love the Lord and who can speak wisdom in your life. Third is you want to just look at wise practical circumstances. And so, man, if I really feel called to buy this house and it's just enormously more than I can afford. The circumstances are saying, God's not calling me to buy that house right now. You hope your wise counsel would tell you otherwise. (laughs) My wise counsel should have stepped in there already, but if they haven't, um, there are going to be some, that's a silly one, but there are going to be some circumstances that are going to speak into your situation. You might call those the closed and open doors. And then finally, and this is a dangerous one, this one only works if you're walking well and keeping in step with the spirit, but the desires of our heart can be a really good guide. And so when you're walking with the Lord, you're going to have good and godly desires. And so when you feel drawn with a heart to a certain lost people, for for a sanctified and growing person, that desire can be a really good guide to a wise decision. Um, now, once again, you, you, the heart can be deceptive. And so we have to be really careful with the following the desires of the heart. It, it falls in line with those other three in a person who's being transformed. And so I would want to run through those filters of the word of God, the wisdom of others, the circumstances, practical wisdom, and then what God's doing in my own heart, and my own desires. I might add to that as well, Garland. Um, you know, Nick, as you were talking about right, left, which one should I do? Should I do the right or should I do the left? So often I think we slip into there is a good and there is a bad, there is a right and there is a wrong. 
Uh, and the reality of Scripture is oftentimes the very will of God, the thing that he is leading us into, uh, is the crisis of soul. And, and you know, Psalm 77 says, his way was through the sea. Uh, you, you know, or Hosea 2 says that he led her to the wilderness to speak tenderly to her heart. And so that God actually puts us in situations at times that we would deem bad, mm -hmm. but that is a conforming of the world kind of thing, because God's ultimate purpose in his glory is to lead us and to make us needy and draw us to him. And so, I mean, let this blow my mind and yours is that that God might be leading you into a place of of despair for the sake of making his name more known. And so it's it's not necessarily a world's view of right or wrong, good or bad, but what is going to draw us to intimacy with God? That's been helpful. Well, this has given us uh, a lot to think about, and so we hope it has for you as well. Thanks for listening, as always, to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed how we find God's will in our lives. We encourage you to look into this more in Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, also in Finding the Will of God by Bruce Waltke, and Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.